Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello, this is Stuart Roberts, founder of Haircuts for Homeless, and welcome to the Hear Me, See Me podcast. I'm going to be talking to people who are truly inspirational to me, some you may have heard of, and some you haven't, but you really need to hear their story. Hello, this is Stuart from Hear Me, See Me podcast, and I've got a, a wonderful, I always say wonderful, because you're all wonderful to me, um, a really interesting, wonderful, inspiration, inspirational guest today. Um, she was introduced to me by a friend, which we'll talk about, and today I'm talking to Denise Harrison. How are you? I'm good, thank you. You? <laughs> I'm very good. We've both had a bit of a night, haven't we? And we <laughs> yeah. It's the fact that this is going to be audio only and it's not going to be added to um, the YouTube later on. <laughs> for both yeah. of our sakes. For both of us. Abs- absolutely, yeah. You ju- you just want to hear this, people. You trust me. You don't you don't want to see it. Me <laughs> as well. Me as well. Um, yeah, you, I, I got sent a message from our wonderful Queen of the North, um, Jackie, uh, McCall in Manchester runs so many projects from up there. And she said, you've got to speak to this woman, you've got to speak to this woman. How did you meet Jackie? I actually bought clippers for the project. That's, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. yeah. That's, yeah, that's, yeah. I, was, I kept seeing like haircuts for homeless pop up. And then I think she put a shout out for some clippers. And I was like, oh, my God, you know, that that's, I can do that. That's like something so small. Um, so yeah, so I sent some clippers and then we got talking, me and Jackie. Hi Jackie, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> um, we got talking and we just stayed in touch. Yeah. And then every so often we just like ping each other in DM and, and whatever. Yeah. And then she she mentioned your podcast and she was like, Oh, should you need to speak to Stuart? You know, he'd love to talk to you. Um, and then I offered to buy more clippers and she said, no, you're okay. We got sponsored now. And I yeah, was like, oh, yeah. that's it. She, she messaged me to tell me that, that she was still using the clippers that I bought. Yeah. And it was like, it was just such a cool feeling knowing that all of these people are getting haircuts and it's something that I kind of contributed to. It was yeah. just such a little thing to me, but it's like a big thing to a project like yours, you know? Yeah. So that's, yeah. So that's kind of how we met. Yeah. And then all these months later, now I'm sat here talking to you. Yeah. Finally, finally. Finally, yeah. in between, didn't we? And, you know, I, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, absolutely. I took a break. The podcast had to take a break because I, I sort of nursed my mum through the end of life and uh, with my sister. And uh, then we lost her and, it, you know, and I had a few things going on myself. So... But I'm I'm at it again, and you know I've already had a great start to it, and I've been really, really. We've sort of been pinging a bit of a message here and there, and I've been really looking forward to it. I know you're really busy, so you know, thanks for giving me a time. But I think really get straight in it. You know, please, please tell me and everyone your story. God, okay. Um, I suppose I'll start with I didn't have an addiction until I became homeless okay so so that's like the the big thing for me so you know you you have people who kind of you hear all these stories and then you you genuinely sit there and go that'll never be me yeah and then actually you wake up one morning and it is you I'm that poster girl 
Right. Okay. So, yeah. So basically I was married. We hadn't been married very long and I never talk about my marriage either. So this is like a quite a big deal. Um, but yeah, so we've been together for 12 years. We just got married pretty much. We'd, we'd only been married over a year. Um, and I came home from work and he was leaving. <laughs> um, like literally I came home from work and he was packing a suitcase. So the penny's not quite dropping at this point. Do you know what I mean? I, I'm just like, what, what are you doing? Where are you going? Um, and I'll gloss over the details because it's like, you know, this was a quite a while ago now and I, I don't want to embarrass him or, you know, affect his yeah. life now. But um, basically he, he was just like, oh, you know, I can't stop. I've got a job abroad. <laughs> so I'm like, right, okay, so, you know, when are you coming back? And then there was just this like really long pause. And I, I was like, are you, are you leaving me? And he, he couldn't look at me. Do you know what I mean? He literally couldn't look me in the eye. And I'm just like, oh my God, you're leaving. And it, I, I was just like, do you know what? I said, I'll, I'll make this really easy for you. I said, because I can't stand here and watch you leave. So I'm going to go. And then I'm guessing that when I come back, you'll be gone. So that's what I did. So I turned up at um, my friend's house and they were like my surrogate parents at the time. So they kind of adopted me. I was a waitress when I met them and they were like this eclectic couple that just collected interesting people. <laughs> and I was one of the people that they collected. So I'm like 350 miles from home. You know, my family aren't here and all of this stuff. And this elderly couple drew me into their like family so I relied on them a lot. You know, I was like the daughter that they never had and they were like my parents. So I remember I turned up on their doorstep and I'm bawling my eyes out and I'm going, look, he's, he's, he's going. And I just remember that they poured me like this glass of wine that there was, it was the size of my head. I'm not going to lie. It was huge. And they were like, just sit, sit down, you know, blah, 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 blah. So <laughs> she made me some cauliflower cheese as well. And I'm sat there trying to eat this cauliflower cheese and drink this wine. And I don't want either of them. I just don't want what's just happened to have happened. Um, and anyway, yeah, so I go back and, and he has gone. So, of course, I'm in limbo then because, you know, it's, it's just I didn't know what to do. And I got his mum saying, look, don't leave him, don't leave him. You know, we thought he was having a bit of a midlife crisis, which basically he was. Um, she was like, don't leave him, don't leave him, you're his world. So I'm hanging on for him. And I find an email one day. Now, I'm not the type of person that, that snoops, I'm genuinely not. But because he was in a foreign country and because we weren't in communication, what I'd said to his mum was I would just check emails and, and just see that he was okay um, and I'd literally go in because his password was my name okay so you know we were quite open about the fact that I knew his password because we were that kind of couple we didn't have secrets or I didn't think we did um, so I find this email from booking.com <laughs> so I'm like do you know what I'm opening that one because I just knew you know when you get an instinct for something so I opened this email and, and he was back in the country and he was in a hotel somewhere <laughs> in the UK with some unnamed person who I still don't know and I don't basically care about. But, you know, so it, that was when I realized that actually, you know, he was supposed to be coming back for peace talks and peace talks weren't going to happen because it was obvious that he was with somebody else. 
so that's when obviously everything really got real and then I panicked I was in like denial you know I'd I'd lived where we lived for like over eight years we'd got pets we'd got you know an established life and and all of this stuff and I could see it just like going and he knew how important that was for me as well because I didn't have that stability as a child so all I'd ever wanted was a family like an actual normal family you know because my mum was an alcoholic so my dad had died when we were I was six and my brother was four and that was a real shocker because he was only 38 so I went to school one morning and you know my dad was there when I left and then I came home the knit nurse brought me home from school and didn't tell me why and I'm really excited because I've got a half a day off school and I'm I'm buzzing because you know I'm like one of the cool kids like I get to leave early and I just remember pulling up outside the house and there's a police car outside the house and I'm chattering away to the knit nurse I remember it so clearly because my neighbors at the time were trouble like the boys were always getting into trouble so I thought it was something to do with them you know and I just remember like going in the house like my brother was there and the first thing he said was Denise dad's dead and I just start laughing because like a four-year-old is telling me that my dad's dead, but he couldn't be dead because he was alive that morning. That's your thought process when you were a kid. Yeah. So I thought it was a joke, you know, and, and I'm still not taking it in at all what, what's going on. And then I remember like my brother and I, we actually thought because we didn't go to the funeral. So obviously I think my mum at that time just thought that it was probably best for us as kids not to go but because we didn't have that closure we just convinced ourselves that he'd run away <laughs> so we were waiting and like every day we'd expect him to just come back do you know what I mean and like go hi you know I'm back now and and it all to just crack on as normal and obviously it never did you know um and so my mum fell apart because she obviously was grieving and she got two kids and and we were like we weren't demanding but we were at that age where we we really needed attention and, and care and stuff and she just couldn't give it to us you know so it was like then the book kind of passed to me so I had to be mum from like a really early age and not only to my brother but to her and so you know I was going to school with my head on my ass like every day just like and I remember also at, at school when we did go back to school, <clears throat> sorry, when I went back to school, because obviously Mark was too small, none of the kids wanted to play with me because they thought that they could catch death. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So I'm like, I've just lost my dad. I go back to school. I'm like one of the scruffy kids because I'm not being cared for and nobody wants to talk to me anymore. Do you know what I mean? So it was like, it just set in motion all of this like unworthiness and like insecurity and, and stuff. And so it was like every day was just a bit of a minefield because, you know, you just never knew what you were going back to really. And it, it was just, it was hard, you know? And so I, I remember I was dating a guy when I was a teenager and, and he used to take me to his house and stuff and they had this beautiful conservatory and, you know, we'd, we'd sit down and have like Sunday lunch together and all we'd be drinking wine and things. And I just, I was just saying to myself, I want that. I want that so bad, you know? 
And so, of course, when I had this relationship and then it ended up, you know, being like a long-term full-on thing, I thought that I'd got that. And so basically, I think I came home twice and the men in my life were leaving or had left. Do you know what I mean? So even though I didn't make the connection at the time, later when I've done the inner work and stuff, which I'll cover in in a little while, but... It, I realized, you know, it obviously triggered up all the old stuff. And then I must have had this fear of like, you know, remembering seeing my mum falling apart and thinking, oh my God, I'm like, this is me now. You know, I'm going to be like this chaotic mess. Um, so anyway, yeah, I rehome the pets because I have to, but I had this cat called Bear who was a rescue cat. Um, and anyone who like reads my work and stuff, they, they'll know this cat was just my dude. You know, he was like, he'd been abused so badly. He'd got no tail and he'd got one eye and like all his teeth were kicked in and, and all of that stuff. But it, like, he loved me and I loved him. Okay. I took him home from the RSPCA and like gave him this second chance. And this dude was just changed my life. So when it came to rehoming the the others, I had to because my realistically, I couldn't get a room because I had a pet and I wasn't going to be swayed from that, okay? And it wasn't fair on me to take the other pets with me because realistically, I was looking at moving into a caravan because then I wasn't answerable to a landlord or, you know, whatever. It was like I could just be there with my cat and, and everything else. But to have like three cats in there and a dog was just out of the question. So I rehomed the pets and I kept hold of Bear. And I moved into this caravan. And I just remember like just sitting there going, what the fuck? I was on this horrendous caravan park, which I won't name, but it was it was just vile. So I'm surrounded by lunatics. I'm sitting there just trying to like grieve and, and quietly lose my mind and I can't because there's just maniacs all around me. And then about six weeks after I move in, Bear got sick. And and I just remember looking at him like he was just doing this circle thing around on a cushion and just he just kept falling over. And I was like, oh my God, he's dying. So I talked to the vets. And I knew what they were going to say. And it was horrendous because I had to put him to sleep. You know, I, I, there was just no way I could let him suffer. And <laughs> they basically had to, like, usher me out because I was scaring the other clients. Do you know what I mean? They could hear me crying and stuff. They they sat me in this side room and whatever, and they were bringing me cups of tea. But I was just like, oh, my God. And so obviously it was bad for business. So they wanted me out. Do you know what I mean? And I remember just being ushered out of this side door and it was pissing it down with rain. And I remember just walking back to the caravan and going, I don't care anymore. Do you know what I mean? I've, I've like the, the last thing really that I care about now is gone. And now it's me in this caravan that now feels like a coffin. I don't care. And I remember I just, like, I sat in my van, piss wet through, and I looked up at the ceiling to God, basically, and I'm like, I'm, I'm saying, what do you want? Like, what do you want? Because you've had it. You've had everything. There is nothing left to take now. 
And I remember like just, it was as though it just walked into the room. I felt this depression and it was like a wall. And I remember it was so tangible, Stuart. It was like, I could feel it watching me. Do you know what I mean? It was like, it was just waiting for that moment to, to like make itself known. And I remember looking at this thing that I couldn't see, but I could see at the same time and thinking, I'm not getting over this. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm done. This is, this is me finished. And so I pressed the fuck it button because I didn't, I didn't care anymore. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd made this sacrifice to move into this caravan so I could keep bearing. Like I was, I was optimistic up until that point that I could like turn things around, you know, and I was like, he was keeping me going. And then for him to go, I was like, I had no reason to care. You know, I, I, I didn't have to like be there for him anymore. I didn't have to show up for myself because it, that was a mission in the first place. I was really, really struggling. And I was struggling to be there as well. You know, it's like I didn't feel safe. And safety is like a big thing throughout my life. You know, it's, it, it still is now. It's just this repetitive pattern. And so I just went walk about. And I, it, would, it just descended into crazy, you know, and I gradually just started losing more and more of my mind. It's like I knew I wasn't mad, but I looked mad and I felt mad. But at the same time, there was the same person in me. I just I couldn't I just couldn't make sense of everything that had happened in, in such a short time. I was I was like as fast as I was trying to hold on to something it would slip through my fingers. And as I'm looking at that one drop, the next one's gone past me, you know? And in the end, I just went, this is too much. I can't, I can't do this. And so I ended up, I think it took me about two and a half years to really destroy myself. And that was a series of just relationships with mentally unstable men, mainly because that was a way of putting a roof over my head at times. Um, which added to the crazy, do you know what I mean? Because these were like men with axes to grind and I was the perfect person because I wasn't going anywhere. Do you know what I mean? So it was like, I fitted, I filled a void for them and they were like my stability, Mm. which was just making things even crazier than they were. Um, and I had supported housing. I was going to, I was going to like these meetings and I was asking for help and they put me in this flat and I remember saying right this is it now you know this is my princess pad this is my new star and all of this stuff but it was horrendous and I you know it was like the guy who lived in the flat before me had drowned so he was he had alcohol issues from what I can gather I didn't I didn't know him this is just the story that was fed back but I remember going into this place and like it hadn't been cleaned properly. So it was razor and stubble and, you know, whiskers and stuff were all in the shower. Yeah. He'd had dogs that he wasn't allowed to keep. And they, when he drowned, the dogs were still in the place. So they chewed through the door and like weed all in the carpets and stuff. So Mm. of course I move into this, this place and everything smells of dog piss and then it started getting into me it started getting into my clothes and in my hair and do you know what I mean it didn't matter how many times I cleaned the carpet and I just got these nutty neighbors who were like just causing trouble and so again I was like I can't be here this you know there's I'm going crazy just being here now 
I smell of dog piss. Yeah. You know, I, I can't, I can't be in this place. I'm on the top floor. I'm scared to go up the stairs. I'm scared to go down the stairs. I've just got to get out of here. So I gave the keys back to that because, you know, I did, it was supported housing with like none of the support right. that I needed. You know, right. I, I remember my support worker turned up one day and, and she was like, Oh, I love your makeup. She said, it looks really nice. It's like really 80s. And I was like, I've got a black eye. I said, I've had to match my other eye to this one. I said, I don't choose to wear like purple and yellow and green. I said, I'm blending it in because I'd fallen off the curb like a few nights before and smacked my face on the ground and, and just did all my eye. And it, if, I, if, I'd, if I'd fallen a fraction like straighter I would have killed myself do you know what I mean my my nose would have just gone straight through my face but I managed to just land on the side but I'm stood there thinking you know how do you not know I've got a black eye how can you not see this mm. so it, it, it was just another situation where I was like do you know what I, I can't be here um so yeah so then I ended up with this psychopath guy <laughs> Um, as you can see, it kind of follows a pattern like out of the frying pan into the fire. Oh, I'll just see if this fire's hotter than the last one. Oh, yes, it is. I'll go and find myself a bigger fire. Oh, and then I end up with a bonfire. Um, so yeah, so I end up with this guy. And again, you know, I'm still I'm still trying to go to meetings and stuff, you know, and one day a week I would deliberately drink less because I wanted to be focused for these meetings. And that was like my one bit of normal because the guy I was with was like a heavy drinker. Do you know what I mean? And he wanted me to drink with him. So he was doing everything that he could to kind of jeopardize my recovery. Um, So, you know, I would go to a meeting and then he would turn up. And so I'd leave, you know, because it was like the the staff kind of knew the situation. So there was a system of like red flags that they use on on the, you know, the support thing. And so obviously the more red flags that are are cropping up, you're going in and, you know, they're asking you how your week's been. And then you say, oh, well, I fell off a curb and I've just done my eye or, you know, this has happened and blah, 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 blah. And so, of course, they're logging all of these incidents. And so you're getting higher and higher and higher on the risk list, which was me. I was just an absolute car crash. And so then they made a decision to obviously, like, give me a bed and detox because I was, I was showing up. I was saying, look, you know, I, I, I don't want this. I'm trying, I'm trying my best to get myself well, but I can't do it by myself. I remember I went to my doctor and I asked for um help with my drinking and he actually said to me he said I've you know I've taken a vow to do no harm and I don't know how to treat you so basically he was like I'm not the person to help you yeah so what I did I went away and I googled what I needed and I went back to my doctor and I said right I need a prescription for this blah 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 so he gives me the prescription so I, I start taking it, do you know what I mean? Because it's obviously to help me, like, withdraw from the alcohol. But then I start drinking on top of it. Yeah. So so now I'm, like, you know, taking a concoction that can basically kill me. Mm. And I'm just, like, you know, I'm trying all the right things. I'm going to all the right people. And I keep getting doors shut in my face because they're going, no golden ticket today, sorry. Mm. Um, 
And eventually I end up, I leave the, the psychopath guy for the last time. Um, and <laughs> an old, old guy takes me in who was this eccentric guy who we crossed paths when he found me in the road and I was the bottom had fallen out of my kind of like my box of fosters and so all of my cans are in the road and I'm scrabbling around in the road trying to get my cans because they're like the holy grail and I need them at that time Mm. and he came along and he was like can I help you and he's got walking stick and stuff you know and he's like he's bending down and he's helping me pick up these cans and so we strike a friendship, me and him, um, because he knew me from another life, which is something that I won't go into today. But um, so he, he called me like an earth angel and he was like, anything I can do to help you, I will. So long story short, I leave the psychopath guy and I'm sitting at the train station and I've got no money to buy a train ticket. I can't go anywhere and I've got nowhere to go apart from back with this guy or sleep at the station and I put a shout out on Facebook. I'm not on social media now. I'm on Twitter, but, I, you know, that's, that's my limit. And he saw the post and he came down to the train station and just said, come on, you're coming with me. And he took me to live with him in his house. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And it was completely like um, platonic. Yeah. You know, he, he'd got no ill intentions towards me at all. Yeah. All he wanted to do was, like, make sure that I was okay. And he called me Alice, as in, like, Alice in Wonderland. And he called himself the Cheshire Cat. So by now, I think I am Alice. Do you know, <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> because my life is just, like, spiraled so far from, like, normal. I am in that rabbit hole and I'm at that tea party. That's, yeah. that's it. Yeah. And... I'm just lying on his sofa and I'm like three doors down from the psychopath as well. Do you know what I mean? So that was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it was really bad. So it was like, I tried not to leave the house. Do you know what I mean? Unless it was like dark. Um, but yeah, so I've got like him a few doors down. I'm living in this, this guy's house. And I remember him saying to me, you know, look, you can, you can take a shower, you know, and I was so traumatized, Stuart, that I couldn't, I couldn't do it because right. even though I knew that he was being kind and platonic and, and he was just trying to help me, yeah. the thought of me taking my clothes off and getting naked in a stranger's house was like too much for my head. Do you know what I mean? So I'm like sleeping and everything I own. Like I'm in this sleeping bag on his sofa. I've got my dead cat's ashes in my sleeping bag because I couldn't bear to like not have him with me yeah. my head's up my arse do you know what I mean and I'm waiting for detox and then in the mornings he had this like flat screen tv and he knew that I liked Coldplay <clears throat> and so he would put Coldplay on for me every morning we'd have this like little ritual which is quite ironic because like not so long ago round about Christmas I've just made a video and Coldplay are in it <laughs> yeah so it's like how things turn around (laughs) um so yeah so I go I go to detox basically and I know that when I'm in detox I'm okay do you know what I mean even though I wasn't I was like I was six stone four when I got through the door of detox all my hair was falling out my periods had stopped like my body was just 
basically just dissolving itself because it, there was, I wasn't feeding it anything apart from alcohol. So everything that was unnecessary was was shutting down, you know. So, yeah, so I remember they, they weighed me in detox and, and I was six stone four. And I remember thinking, oh, that, you know, that's not very much. Yeah. But you don't realise when you're in it just how bad things are getting, do you know what I mean? Because you're so caught up in your head, you're not really seeing the physical anymore. Do you know what I mean? It's just Groundhog Day of, of madness. So, yeah, so I, I go into detox and I know when I'm in there that this is where I need to be. And I just immerse myself in it. You know, it's like they medicate me and, and, and I just stick to, to the program religiously. I do everything that they ask me to do with bells on it. And, and I work my arse off and I go into rehab and I do the same in rehab. So I spend like four months in total in detox and, and rehab. And I walk out of rehab <clears throat> before I should have done because they were pushing my buttons. Do you know what I mean? There were, there was things that we weren't agreeing on. And I was like, look, if you insist on me doing this thing, it's going to take me backwards and I'm not prepared to go backwards for anybody or anything. Mm. So, you know, if you're insistent that I go to this place that I'm telling you, I don't want to go to, then I can't be here. And so I walked out of rehab and I went to the homeless hostel and they moved me in there the next day. And then <laughs> to try and stay, <laughs> stay some kind of sane, um, a friend came to see me and she was like, look, I want, I want you to write. She said, I know you, you're clever. You know, she said, you're a clever girl. I want you to write. And, and I'm like, what am I supposed to write about? You know, I, I, I was like, look at me, look at where I am. What am I, what am I writing about? I, I can't, I, I can't process this. And she was like, look, just write. She said, I'm going to build you a website. She was that convinced that writing was going to be like my way out of this. She built me this website. So I remember we were sitting there and I was like, I, I did it to humor her. I was like, okay, all right. You know, you're going to build me this website. Yeah, I'll write some stuff. And so I needed a name that people could relate to and, but that could like keep me anonymous at the same time because I've got no confidence. Do you know what I mean? I'm like in this hostel, I'm newly sober. I'm fat as well because they given me, they found out in um, detox that I burnt my thyroid out because of all the stress and stuff. Yeah. So they stuck me on a levothyroxine, which made me balloon so I went from six stone four to like over 11 stone, which for me was like huge. So, you know, I'm unrecognizable to myself. I'm sober. I'm in this homeless hostel. Everything's just everywhere. And so I'm like, yeah, okay, all right. So we're choosing this name. And that's how I chose like just a girl because I was like, you know what? I'm just a girl in hospital. I'm just a girl in a homeless hostel. I'm just a girl in detox. I'm, I'm just a girl in rehab. I'm just a girl sitting, pouring a heart out on Twitter, you know? And, and so that's how just a girl came about. And so I wrote a blog and I put it out on Twitter and I had this little avatar with this like girl with birds flying around her head <laughs> and and I kept that avatar for ages because I just thought once once I started writing I couldn't stop you know 
it literally it is something switched in me and I'm like do you know what this this works and and I loved it I like I clung to it like a life raft because it was so so important to me you know I could write at five in the morning when like the guy in the room next door to me is having like some kind of mental breakdown yeah. and he's shouting and screaming and and there's no staff there and you know and I'm just lying there dying for a wee but not wanting to go to the loo in case he comes out of his room and I'm like yeah. oh so you know I started to take all of the stuff that was happening around me and inside me and and all of that and so I started to write about it and so I'm putting my work out on Twitter and then I start to get a following on Twitter and then that gave me confidence because I was like well People aren't just liking my work because they know who I am. They're liking my work because they actually like my work, yeah. you know, and, and they're relating to it. Um, and so I wrote a blog called This Is Depression, and I wrote that in about 15 minutes flat. It was just like a splurge. And then I put that out as a blog, and the, the amount of feedback that I got just from that one piece made me think this could be a film. And yeah. so I'd, ne- I'd never made a film before, <laughs> didn't, know, didn't know the first thing about making a film, but I knew that Twitter knew. So I put a shout out on Twitter and I'm like, look, you know, I really want to make a film with this. And I wanted it to be an animated film because the content was so dark that yeah. I wanted to give it that edge. So it wasn't, you know, completely doom and gloom. I wanted it to be like this cartoon girl who's just having this really rough time. Yeah. And so basically... Yeah, I find the people that I need to help me make the film and they all do it as this labor of love. And then Ricky Wilde jumps on because he'd read my work and we'd been friends for a while on Twitter. So then he's like, look, I'll write the the music for you and I'll get Kim to sing the vocals. So that's, you know, so yeah, so Kim Wilde sings on my film. Um, And it all just like from that film, I remember I flew to Manchester to see it being screened at a film festival and I remember being in this room and all these people were you know they were looking at my work and they kind of knew my story and I remember thinking I'm an artist I'm not an addict yes you know this this is who I am this is the essence of me now this this is what I'm supposed to do and I realized that you know I take the dark stuff and the things that want to stay hidden and I bring them out and I make them into something beautiful and understandable. And then I put it out and I, I go, look, you know, <laughs> just have this. <laughs> it might help you. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of how it all started, really. And now my website, I checked my website this morning and I'm on from nothing, from like no, no views. I'm on 92,780 amazing yeah which is just bonkers um but it it was just I am a big believer in like everything happens for a reason and if you told me that when I was first going through it I would have thrown something at you I'm sure do you know what I mean and just gone are you mad you know look at this what what good is going to come from this yeah but the amount of things that happened along the way and the people that came and helped me when I needed it the most just showed me, do you know what I mean? It's not coincidental. I, I genuinely believe that I had to go through that stuff. 
And the other thing about me is obviously when I was a kid, I was so shy. And yeah. even as, a, as an adult, you know, I really struggled to speak and words would get stuck in my throat, which is probably another thing to like do with my thyroid and stuff. I had all this emotion like here yeah. and it would stay there because I didn't have the confidence or, you know, whatever to, to speak out. So for a long, long time, I just kept everything inwards. Yeah. And then now it's, you know, now with my writing, it, it opened that up. And it just, it made so much sense of everything that happened. It helped me to see myself differently. It helped me like not to give myself such a hard time about things. It, it's just, it's changed my life, you yeah. know? And I remember I was sitting on a bus one day and I, I was just looking out the window and I was thinking if, if it wasn't for just the girl, I'd have no idea who I was anymore, you know, but she became my identity yeah. And some something for me to grow into. While, you know, like the caterpillar turning into a butterfly, yeah. just the girl was like my cocoon. And yeah. she kind of helped me develop, you know, being this other person just, mm. just helped me to like spread my wings, I suppose, without trying to sound cheesy. I don't mean it like that. Mm. I just mean that when everything else was gone and it was just me, in those really dark days, you know, and, and needing something to like pull me through that was there for me. And, and, and I don't know, I just, I can't, I can't believe how much I've achieved, how much more I want to achieve, yeah. you know, and, and it's all just from, from that, from being reduced to absolute ground zero and then rebuilding from scratch again as a new person and trying to figure out how that's going to look, you know, yeah. and, and still trying to navigate my sobriety, which I've done successfully. I'm like six years this November. Okay. Um, thank you. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Um, but, yeah, you know, I, I, I started to write because I, I had to look myself in the mirror and be able to deal with the things that had happened yeah. And, and, and walk down the street with my head held high and go, do you know what, you know, I defy any of you to go through what I went through yeah. and, and not have some kind of bumps along the way. You know, I realized like I didn't ask for an addiction. I didn't ever, ever want an addiction. I no. wouldn't ever in a million years go back into addiction, no. but it came, it came anyway, you know, it was the perfect storm. And, and the one thing that, was my coping mechanism turned into something that wanted to kill me yeah you know and 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 that's what it is it's like it's that simple and I needed professional help to to you know to get myself well I'm not I'm not ashamed of that I don't think anyone should be ashamed of that no, no not because yeah you know I've come out the other side and and I've shown just what people are capable of you know, when you, you walk past somebody sitting in a shop doorway and you just think that that's, that's that person, that's how they always are, or that's, that's how they always have been, and you've got no idea, you know, that's the end result of some catastrophe. Mm. That's what you're looking at. You're not looking at somebody that can't handle life. You're looking at somebody that I'm pretty sure has tried very mm. hard and at some point along the way gone, do you know what? Yeah, no, you win. I'm just going to sit here for a bit and get my head together, mm. you know? 
What, what fascinates me is that what made that woman know that you needed to write? I know. Things like that fascinate me. What, how did she have that insight into you to think you need she, to write? She was somebody that knew me from a previous life as well. Right, okay. Um, yeah. It's that's like, oh God. This is a tough one. Yeah. So, <clears throat> God, I've been doing all the talks and so, all the TED talks and stuff on this and trying to have like my moment. And I've been avoiding it for years. I've been dodging this and dodging it and dodging it. And I was talking to my friend and she's like, this is your last demon. And it is my last demon. I know it's my last demon. Oh, God. Right. Breathe. So I couldn't fix my family. Okay. Mm. I, I couldn't. I couldn't fix my mom. Um, I couldn't change what happened to my dad, but I did see the damage that was caused when everything fell apart. And so I'm a quite a clever girl, okay? I've got a really clever mind. And I was never good at anything throughout my life because I had this lack of self-confidence and this lack of self-worth. So I would take like rubbishy jobs God, this is going to sound awful because I don't mean it like that. I would take jobs that weren't challenging for me. Do you know what I mean? Jobs that I just needed to show up at. Yeah. I, I would just wash dishes. I would wait tables. I'd work behind a bar. You know, all things that just didn't demand too much of me because I didn't have the confidence to do what I should be doing, which is this kind of thing probably, you know, I'm working in a field that I'm really passionate about. So anyway, I've got a clever mind. I'm very creative and I start creating projects. This is going to be really hard for me. I'm not going to lie. No. Um, so I'm, I find that I'm good at it. So I'm looking at problems in society and I'm finding solutions for them. Okay. So for example, there was like a soup kitchen idea. I was going into soup kitchens as a support worker because I had a background in support work at one point as well. Um, and I would go in and I would try and pick the new people up before they got entrenched on the streets and, you know, all of this stuff. But one of the things that was sticking in my mind was that, you know, people were turning up and they were going give me a pasty, give me a biscuit, get me a coffee, do this, do that. And you've got these little old deers working behind the counter, you know, all these little volunteers and they're showing up and they're trying to like do nice things. And they're being talked to like they're dirt sometimes. Give me so I'm like, yeah, yeah. You know, so I'm like, do you know what? This isn't right. So what I did along with um, a couple of other people is like created a project where we created a soup kitchen with a difference. So it was like we, we cooked three course meals from scratch using donated food that I'm, I wangled from like food suppliers and stuff. Um, and 
there was the only criteria was there were two rules that anything that was going on on the streets you left at the door okay and the second rule was that you just had to do something you had to contribute in some way not financially but you you literally you'd have to like wash a dish or put some chairs out or put chairs away or whatever and it was just to get people used to like being part of a group you know doing normal stuff sitting eating meals being respectful to each other you know and so that was one of the projects and then we'd get people coming forward and then they'd start helping prepare the meals, yeah. you know, and then it'd be like, right. Okay. So why don't you have a catering qualification? Why don't we see if we can get you a job working as a chef or, you know, whatever. And so this is what was happening. People were building their confidence because they started slowly and then they were going on and, and rediscovering like their love of food or whatever. So I was good at creating projects. And I created a project that was so amazing. Oh, my God. Sorry. Okay. I created a project that was the first of its kind. And it was absolutely, I had no idea when I created it that it was going to be as good as it was. Yeah. I just, I just sat out with like, I had a bin bag full of baby clothes <laughs> and I ended up winning national awards for it. Okay, so while everything was going wrong for me, I was in the middle of running this project, okay, that I'd created, that I'd started from scratch. And basically, if you were in trouble, if you had any kind of like, if you were struggling to feed your kids, if you couldn't face Christmas, if your kid was having a birthday and they needed a birthday cake, I was the person that you wanted to show up at your door, okay? I rescued people from domestic violence, and I would create pop-up domestic, like, refuges. You name it, I I did it, okay? I was this magical fixer person. And the irony was I couldn't fix myself because I just couldn't. Do you know what I mean? Because one of the reasons that I started the project was because I knew that when you're so caught up in something, when you're in this cyclone and you're in the middle of it, all you see is like the madness whirling around you and you, you can't, you can't see through the tornado because you're in it. Yeah. And one of the reasons that I was so good at what I did was because I was detached. I would go to this house and I would see what was happening to this family And as horrendous as it was, I would be like, okay, that's cool. You know, I know what we can do. And I would go away and I would come back with a plan and I would fix them. And I would then go on to the next person and I would fix them and I would fix them. And so while everything was falling apart, I'm still holding on to this project. And then (laughs) people, people wanted what I had. Okay, they they could see how good this thing was and they could see that I was ill and they wanted me out of the way. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. That's, no, that's, no. that's what was happening. And I got thrown under the bus, like massively, okay, yeah. like really badly. And it was, 
I was leaving for detox soon anyway. Do you know what I mean? I wasn't in a position to stand and argue about it. I, I kind of made my point at the time. And then I went off to detox because I've got bigger things to worry about yeah. than, than what was happening with these people. Yeah. But it haunts me, Stuart. It's like, it just does. Do you know what I mean? It's like, oh, God, I don't know. I remember having a conversation with, with my friend who was a priest. And, you know, he knew everything that was, that was going on in my life at the time. And I, and I said to him, I was like, after I'd screamed at God the first time, I'm sitting, in his, I'm sitting in his church and I'm like, look, either the universe is having a really big laugh at my expense. Yeah. Or they're teaching me everything I need to know to run this project. And, and that's, that's how I had to look at it. Do you know what I mean? It's like I, <laughs> I lost everything in my life, like everything that I cared yeah. about. I, I became a candidate for my own project and yeah. then sometimes 10, you know? Yeah. And when I needed people to help me, my people came good. The people that knew the real story, they came good and they, and they helped me. Um, and they sheltered me from like the, the shit. Yeah. Okay. Because they knew that I was ill and I needed some protection. So everything that I did, all the good stuff that I did came back to me when I needed it, like in the most, un, you know, the craziest of ways, like the Cheshire cat coming yeah. and saying, come and live with me. You're an earth angel. Yeah. It would, it would be a privilege to have you in my house yeah. to the caravan that I moved into. Somebody bought me the caravan yeah. because I couldn't, I couldn't afford it. I didn't have any money. And she was like, I'll buy it for you. She knew me and she did. She bought me the caravan, Yeah, you know, just, just, just all of the stuff. And I've, I've wrestled with it for years because it's, it, like I said, it does just, it haunts me. You know, I just, I just, I don't know. So I let my, what, I let, I let. What's haunting you? I just, oh God. I think if, I just wish I could have done things better. I do, you know. That's the one, isn't it? That's the one that gets me. Yeah. And about what people say and what people say, how wonderful you've done. If you don't think you've done it well enough, they can say whatever they want. It still haunts you that you've not done what you could. However, me as an outside looking in is sort of saying that there again it was it was divine intervention because you needed to be pushed out of that so you could go and recover. So you could then go and be, you know, you, need, you could go through then that proper journey that then took you where you are now. Whereas you hadn't have been pushed out of that, you may have got so wrapped up and stayed in it so much that you wouldn't have then developed yourself. So from an outsider, it's it was meant to be. But I get how it haunts you. Yeah, it it does. It it's just I can't take joy in the things that I achieved back then because it ended badly. Yeah. You know? And so I think like <laughs> my friend Sarah will be so proud that I'm doing this. Do you know what I mean? Because she's like, this is your demon. This is like yeah. your insecurity demon. And if you can tackle this one, then you've, you've nailed it. Yeah. And, that, and that's, 
that's why I was so worked up this morning as well, you know, when I'm like, and I, and I didn't sleep and stuff. But I just think, do you know what? It's, I was watching Brené Brown's um, Your Critics on, oh, I don't know, Your Critics on, on the Worst People or, or something. It, it was taken from Theodore Roosevelt's The Man in the yeah. Arena. Yeah. You know that piece. Yeah. Where it's where it's saying that, you know, it's all very well for people to sit around in the cheap seats and throw popcorn and have an opinion and 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 say how you could have done things differently. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But when you're the one in the arena and you're the one getting kicked in the head and you're still getting up yeah. after everything that's been thrown at you, do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. I think there's a lot to be said about those people really don't have an opinion that's valid mm. because they don't know but they're, you the know, ones, so, they're the ones we take to bed with us exactly and, and, all sorts of things I, I've, I mean this year when I got my MBE I had all these things and I had an outpouring of love that's what it was it was an outpouring of love not just for me for me and the, the, the work you know and then there was this but then you get this odd little dig and the little dig you know you've got a hundred or two hundred things you can go to bed with you go to bed with a little dig. When the light goes off, the little dig. Yeah, comes. yeah, exactly. So why why is our brain like that? That we can't take all of that love and affection, but we have to take that one to bed. And I, th- I think that's that's been my biggest thing throughout this recovery. Do you know what I mean? I've I've realised that it's not their opinion that matters you know what I mean people can say what they want about me and they will and they still do what I'm guessing it's what I know and what I see and what I deal with on a day-to-day basis that's the important thing yeah do you know what I mean that's 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 the thing if I can if I can face my demons and go do you know what I'm just putting it out there yes I was doing something amazing yes it didn't turn out the way that I wanted it to. But if I was back in that situation again, it would still have that same outcome because that there was only one way it could have ended. Yeah. You know, I needed detox and I was running myself into the ground, trying to be everything to everybody and I couldn't. Mm. And for, for the friends that came forward and helped me, that was incredible but at the same time there were still people waiting to pick the meat off my bones you know yeah and 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 that's the thing that hurts Mm. it's like they they could see what I was going through and they still kicked me in the head yeah I can relate to that Mm. and I you know even then we get to a point where like this year I I just had to take a break at one point um but I've grown enough to know to not be afraid to do that. Whereas I was really afraid to do it. Oh yeah, but I've got to keep going. I've got to keep, I'm a, oh, I can't, I can't stop the podcast. I can't stop this. I can't, I can't not go to a centre. I can't say I'm not available. I can't, you know, yeah, but hang on a minute. You're, 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 you're on your way out, mate. You know. Exactly. I'm 16 years sober, you know, like, and, and it's been held by a friend this year. You know, and surprise. Yeah, you've been really tried. It's really, really tried over the last year, and 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 it's it's not so much that you think you're gonna. It's not about relapsing. It's about losing your serenity. You know, that's that's the worrying thing that um, 
I've had a bit of peace of mind for the last sort of 10 years, say. And then all of a sudden, it's like I'm losing all the peace of mind, all that stuff. And it's scary because you, you, you got used to being having a bit of serenity, you know. And then, mm. then all of a sudden, it's like chaos. I used to love the chaos. Yeah, exactly. I don't like the chaos now. No, no. And there's a, there's a massive difference, isn't there? When you can come out of that yeah. and then you see the crazy and you're like, how was I ever immersed in that madness? You know, but you, that's, that's, that's addiction. That's what it does. It's like, it makes your world so small and yeah. puts, puts people in it that, you know, I'm a big believer in like, like attracts like, and you're, you're on that vibrational level and yeah. you are. So the people yeah. that you're meeting, the people that you're coming into contact with are as sick as you, I suppose. You yeah. know, and so you all just hang out together and just have this crazy little tea party of yeah. madness. Yeah. You know, but it's like when you can come out of that and you realize that, you know, it, it was an illness. It was like something out of your control. I'm, a, I'm very careful about how I talk about addiction because when yeah, people say oh, yeah when people say oh I'm powerless over alcohol and, and I'm this and I'm that I think but you're not you know you're mm. so strong when you take those steps to overcome it yeah. and you start working every day every minute every hour that you're not having a drink or using or whatever is your strength coming back yeah and and so that's that's how I see it you know you you I, I talked once about you just need a piece of hope that's like Rice crispy sized. Yeah. And and if you've got that, if you've got that little Rice crispy, yeah. do you know what I mean? And you can hold on hold to that. it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Then that's that's what you build on. You know, it's so small, it's microscopic, but it's there. Yeah. And that's the important thing. You've got to have it. Yeah. And when you've got it and you start to invest in yourself and, and start to like figure it out and get yourself well you do become unstoppable yeah. you know you 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 gain all this strength and all of this knowledge and stuff that you've you would never have dreamed of before yeah you know i and what, your description of you as you was at that time i it was so descriptive that i knew I, I knew you, you know, I've never met, never met you in person. I've only, I only know you to speak to now, but that I, I really knew who you were then by your description because I've met so many of you constantly over the last few years. You know, I met, I met people this week when I was on my travels of you at that sort of six and a half stone, you know, lost everything. And, and, I meet so many of them people all across the UK and Ireland. Like they're every, you know, it's, it doesn't vary. It's not, you know, everywhere you go, it's the same people just with different accents. And but I'd see very, unfortunately, I meet very few people of like you now, because not many people. And I, it's a pessimistic thing, but it's a realistic thing. Not many people get from you then to you now. Unfortunately. I'm working on a project, Stuart, that might change that. I don't doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> if I can do anything, 
<laughs> if I can do anything to help, I will. But that's what I mean. You know, it's that. That's why you weren't that you weren't supposed to do that then, because you needed to get well to be able to do this now. Yeah, and that's the I most think, important thing. I think that's that's the thing. It's like mental health and addiction and trauma is where it's at. Yeah. for me you know and 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 that's where I'm supposed to to be with this whether that's writing or whether that's in film or podcasts or whatever it's it's just me getting my brave back yeah and 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 you know and finding a voice and going Do you know what I know how hard it is to talk about stuff like this mm. because for years I wouldn't do it but mm. now it's like I, I have to I have yeah. to do that, you know, not only for my own recovery, but for people out there that are listening that can relate to it. Do you know what I mean? And they they don't see that there's a way out that you can come through it. Yeah. And it, it, if there's any, well, there is, there's loads of good to come from, you know, what I've been through and, and all of that stuff. But I think that's the thing. I just, I just want to show people that, you know, I was a write-off on that sofa. I, I shouldn't yeah. have got back up, really, you know. It's another few months and that would have been me finished. I think you was probably close. Yeah, absolutely. I know I was, you know, and I was I was kind of at peace with that as well because I was like, yeah. well, you know, well, what have I got? What have I got exactly? You know, yeah. I haven't got anything. I've got an addiction. I'm living on a borrowed sofa. Bring it on, you know. I know, and, that, and, really. yeah. And, and now myself, and it wasn't until I started helping other people that I found myself just for other people. Exactly, and that's the thing, you know. Your recovery is like pivotal to other people's recovery. We just do yeah. it in different ways. Yeah, of course. You know. Yeah. Well, I'm blown away by you. I'm blown. You're 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 doing that now. You're going to feel great this afternoon. (laughs) It's like you've been in the gym. You know, you've been in the gym for a long time, and then you've done it. You've managed it. I'm washing dishes later. (laughs) (laughs) That that'll bring me back down to it. Yeah, that'll do it. (laughs) That always is. That's a good one. (laughs) It's such a pleasure and a privilege talking to you, Denise. I've really, I knew, we both knew we was going to enjoy it, and I really think we both have, haven't we? Um, yeah, it's been really good. Thank you. But what we'll do, you know, we'll when, when this goes out, we'll put all the links on it as well. So, you know, we'll chat after when this finishes, and we'll put all the links on to all the work you want to do. Thank and that's you. That's only the beginning for you. And thank you, Jackie, Queen of the North. For yeah, thanks, Jackie, Queen of the North. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well you enjoy the rest of your day and, thank you um, sweet absolute privilege and I, I know we'll meet soon I think so yeah that would be really cool we should do it we should sort something we will we'll do something right. we'll make, <laughs> on my travels I'll make sure we meet mega alright lovely T- take care Stuart thank you. cheers bye sweetheart bye.